we've learned anything from these past couple of years, my fellow Americans, is that personal medical freedom and liberty are in crisis. America Out Loud Pulse brings together the top experts in healthcare-related fields to keep you a beat ahead. Is the federal government the mother of all disasters? Hmm. Natural or man-made disasters are always on the horizon. Throngs of people begging for help from government entities is a lasting memory of Hurricane Katrina. The stranded folks soon learn the local, state, and federal responses were really inadequate. Over a a dozen train derailments have occurred so far in 2023, some with the release of toxic cargo. Wildfires in Maui brought sudden destruction and death. COVID-19 and the response that had patients needlessly die, children needlessly deprived of two years worth of schooling, and economic hardship for many while others were overworked to the point of suicide in some cases. This led a large number of our fellow Americans to wonder about the competence and efficacy of government public health planning. Of course, the other issue that COVID brings to mind is the use of bio-warfare. China, who hardly can be considered a friend, is linked to a secret lab with at least 20 infectious pathogens, including bacteria that causes TB, meningitis, and viruses that cause COVID and hepatitis. This is right in Central California, right out of a spy movie's. Investigators found dead mice genetically engineered to catch and carry COVID. And remember, bioweapons don't discriminate among its victims. As we saw with COVID, a virus can spread around the world in weeks. This is particularly worrisome given the current drug shortage and the demonstrated ineffectiveness for preventing transmission of the COVID shots. Some people call them vaccines. For a while, nuclear disaster was on our minds with talk of potential for terrorist dirty bombs. Now the war in Ukraine and increasing aggression with the U.S. now supplying cluster bombs and the deployment of troops to the region have brought back the conversation of the real threat of nuclear war. It seems we have little control over our foreign policy, but we do have control over ourselves. The most important thing to remember with disasters is that you are your own best emergency manager. No one cares more about you and your family than you. My guest will discuss some of these issues and how to prepare for disasters. Dr. Jane Orient is the Executive Director of the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons. She's also the President of Doctors for Disaster Preparedness. Dr. Orient received her undergraduate degrees in chemistry and mathematics from the University of Arizona and her MD from Columbia University College of Physicians and Surgeons. She practices internal medicine. She writes op-eds on healthcare policy and they've been published in numerous national newspapers. She also writes novels and nonfiction books including Sapira's Art and Science of Bedside Diagnosis, 
which is now in its fifth printing. Welcome to the show, Dr. Orient. Great to be with you, Marilyn. It's always great to talk to you. Well, let's talk about disaster. How did Doctors for Disaster Preparedness get started? Well, this was started back in the days of the Cold War, back in the early 1980s. It was a, a branch of the American Civil Defense Association, or TECTA. Back then, the government actually had a civil defense program dating back to the Cuban Missile Crisis, which had really deteriorated. At the present time, we have do-it-yourself civil defense because the federal government has virtually dismantled the whole program except for its continuity of government program with bunkers for the important people. But they did away with all of the radiation monitoring devices. I, by the way, rescued a couple truckloads of them from Arizona. But they are being made available by private entities. The government doesn't even give first responders decent advice about things that could save millions of lives just with simple knowledge. So that's been our mission, is to make this information available to whoever is willing to listen to it. When you say this, it reminds me so much of my father, who used to always say, when the chips are down, you can count on yourself. Don't wait for somebody else to help you. And he meant, you know, you and your family. And I think what goes on with the government these days, when we look at Maui and and what a disaster that turned out to be, I mean, what, maybe a thousand people died, poor uh, notification, poor water supply, all these things. So I think people are getting the picture. You better watch out for yourself. And it sounds... It sounds like that's what you're doing, making sure that people know how to look out for themselves. Well, your father was so right. We are all first responders. In the event of a, of a nuclear disaster or an electromagnetic pulse or just the grid going down for some reason, there's not going to be a 911 service. There, you know, There's not going to be any help immediately available to you. And we found out, like in Katrina, that FEMA might eventually send a money truck to give some money to certain selected people, but they don't have things like generators. If you, if you need a boat to, to rescue you from your flooded home, you'll be lucky if some, some individual private citizen comes and takes you in his boat. Well, thank, how- thank goodness for private citizens. And what was that? The Cajun Navy and the, the big hearts of people who were out there to help others. Right. And the biggest evacuation probably in history next to Dunkirk occurred after, after 9-11, when people could not get off, off the uh, Manhattan Island when they felt that they were in very great danger. Pleasure boats, ferry boats, all kinds of private citizens came came to the assistance of people. Well, you know what it, it reminds me of when you look at some of the government websites, and this is across the board in many things, CDC telling you what to do and FEMA telling you what to do, all these things. So many of them 
refer to the website. And it reminds me of when my uh, internet went out and you call the internet people and they say, go to our website and we will give you some hints. And you want to just strangle them and say, well, I wouldn't be calling you if I had internet and could go to your website. It's sort of like these systems are down when you have a major disaster, which means you've got to have all the stuff, which you're going to talk about, that you need already. You can't wait until after the fact. You need to have water. You need to have food. You need to have the prescription drugs that you need. And above all, you need to have just a certain amount of knowledge. Little kids used to be taught this back in the 1950s. If you see a bright flash, drop and cover. Because light travels faster than sound. If there's a big flash, there's likely to be a blast wave coming soon thereafter. And if you're not lying on the floor or on the ground, you're likely to get blown about by a hurricane force wind. If you're standing in front of a window, shards of glass are going to be in your eyes. It will be the last thing you'll ever see. But do we tell people this this simple thing? Any type of explosion, certainly a nuclear explosion, if you know this, it could save more lives than almost anything else. Well, since you mentioned nuclear, let's start with that. Back, and you mentioned 9-11. So after 9-11, everybody was talking about dirty bombs. And, and you know, I'm assuming that when we talk about dirty bombs, they, these were things that could be small, they could be in a briefcase, and there were small amounts of nuclear material in there, which if exploded, could cause some problems. We're not talking at the level of Nagasaki, but enough to harm people. What would you do if you were around where a dirty bomb exploded? Well, the first thing to know is that dirty bombs are a terror weapon. They are not a nuclear explosion. The the harm from the explosion is from the conventional explosive that's in there. And so things will windows will be blown out, walls will be blown down, and so on. The radioactive material will be dispersed. But people are taught to believe that there's no safe dose of radiation. It's the end of the world if there's any radiation out there. But the fact is that that if people knew how to measure it, which is very, very easy to measure, and they understood that it has a half-life, the most important thing to do is not to panic. You know, not to go hide in a hole where you can't get food or water, you can't help people who are in distress, or you can't do your work. But learn what the facts of the matter are, learn what is a dangerous dose and what isn't, and and act accordingly instead of shutting down the whole this whole city for something that may be a radiation no higher than in certain areas like in Denver, Colorado, which have higher than normal background. It's very interesting, and I've had folks on the show talking about radiation, and I think a lot of people don't realize how much ambient radiation there is. I, When I was an intern, I remember the radiologist uh, had me look out the window. This was at the old San Francisco General, and it had a brick patio where people ate their lunch or whatever, and it was encircled completely, and he said, look out this window, look at all this brick. It's 
bouncing off radiation while everybody's sitting there having their lunch. And because he said, I was all scared that when I stayed in there with a patient for an x-ray, he said, this one time is not going to kill you. In fact, you'll be worse off if you go down there and have your lunch in that little courtyard. Yeah, and they still wear 50 pounds of lead around when the amount of radiation that they may get from doing fluoroscopy is actually probably beneficial because really low-dose radiation stimulates your cellular repair mechanisms, which is busy undoing the damage that your own metabolism causes to it every day. Well, so how would you know if there was a dirty bomb and if you didn't hear it on the radio or from the government, is there any way you could tell as a private person? Well, it depends on whether you have any instruments or not. I carry a nuke alert everywhere I go, a really ingenious device that will fit on a key ring. Never went anywhere, though, because the government was absolutely uninterested. We do not have a nationwide network for measuring ambient radiation. There was a possibility for doing this, but the government had so little interest in it that it just completely fell through. Isn't that a shame? There probably wasn't enough money to be made or it wasn't a sexy political issue at the moment. So this it's always so sad because there's some issues that are really important that continually get ignored because they're not election worthy. They're not election debate worthy. And uh, who suffers? Us, the people. Well, so you can't you can make your own radiation detector very simply. The plans for it used to be available to be printed in the newspaper if there were ever a threat. It was developed at Oak Ridge National Laboratory. It's probably the best, most accurate radiation meter available if you make it properly. But nobody knows about it. Well, now they do, Dr. Orient, and that's why you're on the show, my dear. <laughs> well, so what happens? Okay, you hear on the news, the dirty bomb went off. What should you do? First, do not panic. Probably more harm done by people running away and running into each other than anything else. If you have a radiation detection instrument, and I suggest that you get one, now while you really can, you will know whether there's any risk to you personally. So do you stay in place? Do you try to leave town? I, you know, what is it that people should do? Is there any special clothing you should put on to take a shower? What do you do? I don't think any of those things would make any difference. In most cases, if you're not in the place where there's a lot of the dust that's settled, then you will probably be just fine. You don't want to eat food that's been contaminated with that. If it's covered, if it's uh, they can. There's no worry about it. I might worry about some water contamination. But these are things that are not that are not immediately perilous. And you know, if somebody needs help, help the person. Don't go hide in a hole thinking that you might might be injured if you save another human being's life. So how long would the radiation last from a dirty bomb? Now, remembering that we're talking about dirty bombs, not a huge nuclear blast as we see in the Alamo tests or 
Um, well, you know, it, it depends on the half-life of the materials that are used. With mm -hmm. a nuclear explosion, the fallout from that, there's the 710 rule that with every uh, seven-fold elapsed in time, the radiation is down to one-tenth of what it was before. So if it's a, a thousand at uh, time zero, seven hours later, it's it's a hundred. Uh, 48 hours later, it's a tenth, and so on. Well, so even if it is a huge blast, you're saying that it dissipates, and it sounds like fairly quickly. How long would it take for a large uh, nuclear bomb if you were, obviously, you can't be right at the epicenter, but if you were on the edges, how long would it take for that radiation to dissipate to where you could come out of your house? Well, the, the initial radiation from nuclear blast is instantaneous, and it's done. It's over. If you got exposed to a lethal dose, well, that's too bad. The problem is, and if it's an airburst, which is very often preferred because the zone of destruction is bigger, um, there's not very much fallout at all. If it's a ground burst and brings all this radioactive dust in the air, then it drifts down to Earth. And so it really depends on how much falls where you are. You need to put distance or, or just mass, you know, heavy things. It doesn't have to be lead. It can be water. It can be bricks. It can be sand between you and the source. And it will much attenuate it. You don't need to stay in your bunker forever. Um, a couple days in most cases would be plenty. But again, if people knew how to how to measure radiation and they knew how to make a simple Carney fallout meter, the instructions are available online for free, then there would be so much less panic and and so many fewer deaths because people could might be exposed to lethal levels that they didn't know about. Well, and after the break, we're going to talk about what would happen to you if you were exposed to levels that may or may not be lethal, but what kind of symptoms would a person have? So after the break, we'll get into that and we'll talk about some other disaster areas as well. Right now, I'm going to talk about huh, what could have been a huge disaster was everybody getting COVID as was predicted from the pandemic. And something good that came out of that pandemic was the invention of Cofix RX. Cofix RX is a nasal spray. Cofix RX, you pop it in your nose, a couple of squirts, and it gives you a huge protection, kind of like an airbag. It decreases that viral load and decreases the likelihood that you'll get very sick. So I think it's worth a try. I love it. I use it. I like to use it after I've gone out in big crowds and um, knock on fake wood. I haven't gotten COVID, haven't gotten even regular colds. And whether COVID comes or goes, there's always going to be the common cold. So we need to protect ourselves from that. So look at our website. There's a little Cofix RX button on there. You can click it on, read more about it, and see if it's right for you. How can you improve your odds of staying healthy? 
The answer is stay healthy with Cofix RX. Who's got time for a cold, strep, a flu, HRV, RSV, or COVID anyhow? Cofix has some great news. Besides being featured as a top five product in the drugstore news, we completed the protocol that you've heard Dr. McCullough talk about. Cofix RX is already famous for a powerful virus hostile nasal solution, and now we have a throat spray too. Crush those nasty germs before they become a problem. With known antiviral support ingredients like povidone iodine, xylitol, and vitamin D3, you can feel a little safer. For a limited time, when you add the new Cofix RX throat spray to your order, you'll receive 25% off the entire purchase. Just click the Cofix RX banner on the America Out Loud website or store. Be sure to use promo code OUTLOUD25 at checkout. Don't forget, OUTLOUD25 at checkout. For 25 years, Global Healing has proudly produced the highest quality supplements and cleansing programs that are rooted in nature and backed by science. Get 15% off all of our products using code OUTLOUD. Global Healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep is infuriating. Your mind races, you toss and turn. Nutrition company Healthy Cell created REM sleep to help you quickly fall asleep, stay asleep, and sleep deep. Unlike other supplements that don't work, REM sleep is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients, supporting all four stages of sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Out loud. Before the break, we were talking about radiation, and I'd just like you to go through some of the things that radiation can do if you did have a toxic dose of it. What does it do to your body? Well, acute radiation sickness, which you might get if you have like two or three hundred grads. It affects the rapidly dividing cells, like the lining of your GI tract, your blood-producing cells, your hair-producing cells. So the symptoms come about from, from those rapidly proliferating cells like during the job, nausea and vomiting, uh, bleeding, infections because you, your white blood cell count is low or because your platelet count is knocked down, your hair falling out. Um, no. Many times people do recover from acute radiation sickness. If you can treat the symptoms, make sure they're hydrated and treat infections. And you know, unless the dose is so, so really high, like above 600 rads or something like that. Uh, a lot of people think, well, we, we need to get anti-radiation pills. And they're worried about getting iodine uh, pills. And those are a good idea to shield your thyroid you know, if the water's contaminated or the food is contaminated with I-131, it may damage your thyroid and you can block the thyroid with, with potassium iodide. A couple drops of Lugol solution a day would do that. Uh, but that, it's not going to save you from acute radiation sickness. It's only, it's only uh, virtue is in protecting the thyroid gland. The government's investing billions of dollars in supposedly... Um, Treatments for radiation sickness, what they really are, is treatments for anything that has knocked down your your normal normal cells, your um, blood cells, and so on. It, it doesn't do anything to the radiation; it just tries to help you repair the damage. 
that it that the radiation has already done. So exactly. uh, if you do get a big enough dose to be poisoned, how long would it take a person to die? Let's say, you know, you're off somewhere, hospitals are overwhelmed, you don't really have access to any treatment that you, how long would you have to suffer? And again, it depends on the dose. If the dose is extremely high, a few hours, otherwise maybe a few weeks, maybe a month or so, that in places like Chernobyl, where some of the firefighters got big doses, I think some of them were saved with bone marrow transplants. Uh, but of course, that would be available only to a small number of, of individuals. Uh-huh. And probably the individuals who would get it uh, are people who were the chosen ones, the golden child, the golden children. Uh, no doubt. Those who are in those continuity of government bunkers. Yes, indeed. Oh, now there's something else I'd like you to talk about because so many people are saying that the biggest disaster on the horizon now is climate change and we need to do something about it. It's man-made and men can stop it. What do you think of that? This has been a big issue at, um, at Doctors for Disaster Preparedness meetings. The idea that man can control the weather is very ancient. We used to sacrifice children. The witches used to, in the Macbeth, for example, were cooking up, they were doing weather cooking to bring a bad wind or something like that. But the fact is that human beings cannot control the weather. And the idea that we can stop driving cars and the climate will stop changing is truly ridiculous. It, it, is, it is absurd. The best scientists have looked into this and atmospheric physicists, they've, they've really taken this into account. There are so many things that affect the climate. The sun being the most important one, if you can imagine that. Also the ocean currents that, that fluctuate over decades. Clouds are very important. Water vapor is by far the, the most important greenhouse gas. But to think that carbon dioxide, which is, has varied tremendously over the history of the Earth, and you know when, when the carbon dioxide increases, it often is because it's outgassing from the ocean where it, it was dissolved. And if the climate warms, more comes out of the ocean, just like it comes out of your cold drink carbonated drink so it's um to say that we can do this with carbon dioxide is totally an effort to control the people because if you could control their energy use you can control everything the thing that i find fascinating about the whole climate change thing and no matter what you think about it is this push for electric cars electric heat pumps all these things with electricity, as if electricity falls out of the sky. You've got to make electricity from something. And electric plants, some of them are coal-fired. So it, it to me, that just doesn't even make any sense. You would think you would want to use energy from multiple sources and sort of spread it around. Well, 80% of the world's energy comes from burning coal, oil, and natural gas. And the, since we've been doing that since the Industrial Revolution, 
that has increased tremendously and has had absolutely no effect on the rate of temperature increase since the end of the Little Ice Age. And so we can cause starvation, widespread poverty and starvation by restricting the use of these necessary fuels without doing anything at all to affect the weather. The, the increase in temperature would be staved off by an unmeasurable amount, less than a tenth of a degree, degree centigrade, if we were to stop using these uh, hydrocarbon fuels. It, it just truly is. It, it is unbelievable that so many people are saying the science is settled on this when it just absolutely is not. Well, I think we've learned to uh, ignore that term, settled science. After all, don't you remember? COVID and its aftermath and its non-treatment was settled science. And look what we know now. It was settled that it came from a pangolin. Yeah, right. So uh, somehow I think science never really settles. There's very few things that we now know are true. They've proven themselves to be true, uh, both experimentally and in the real world. I think but things we do know to be true. We do know about the atmosphere, the effects of atmospheric carbon dioxide. It fertilizes plants. It's probably saved billions of people from starvation to have a little more CO2 in the atmosphere. And we, we know what effect it has on 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 trapping heat in the world, and it is trivial. And once you saturate it, increasing the carbon dioxide a little bit makes no difference at all. So these things we do know. We do know about thermodynamics. We do know about the solubility of CO2 in the atmosphere, in the ocean, I mean, and how that varies with temperature. These things we know, and we know that the idea that CO2 is the magic control knob is simply false. Well, what I find fascinating is, and I'm sure a lot of people know, that when you breathe, you breathe in air and you exhale many things, but CO2 is one of the things that you exhale. So how do, do you think this whole anti-CO2 stuff is part of population control and you know, and why somebody wants it in the first place when food is actually getting more plentiful in some areas that, I mean, if we breathe out CO2, if we had fewer people on this earth, wouldn't that decrease the CO2? Not nearly as much as decreasing the use of fuel that people these days need to survive. They needed to grow food. They needed to transport food. They needed to keep from freezing to death. They need to uh, have air conditioning. They need to, to get from one place to another. That if we if we make it impossible for people to use energy on which the industrial society depends, billions of people will die. Well, is there? You think there's some group out there that that's sort of what they want? And and again, I'm trying to think. Why would somebody want a lot of people to die? Why would we want? to have fewer people on the earth now that farming has improved and people can be fed. It used to be, they'd say, well, you can't feed all these people. So we don't need more people on the earth. Why, you know, why? 
it may partly be a, a religious thing that they think that this precious Mother Earth is somehow burdened. I think more likely the people who are most influential just want control. And the global will be much easier to control if they don't have the possibility of all these rebel upstarts out there who might be challenging them. Well, it's very interesting because I look at how people are in the cities where when people are packed in, you seem to lose a little bit of civility, or at least that's what tends to be happening now versus living in the country where people know they have to help each other out. And I don't know if there's some sort of a city, rural uh, um, dichotomy with people and how the government treats the people. It seems like the government treats the people in the cities as their children and the rural people as uh, castoffs. And, uh, you know, maybe they're glad to be treated as castoffs and have the government out of their lives. I don't know. But uh, there seems to be plenty of land in the world and plenty of resources. So uh, I think you may well be right that population control is another word for just control of people, period. Well, I think I think that's true. I think people are still worried about the population bomb, whereas the only people in the world who are reproducing themselves are Africans, some people in the Middle East, the Amish, but um, Western Europe, the United States, even Latin America is becoming more like this. They are just not having enough children to reproduce themselves, and we'll maybe finding out what happens when we have a collapse of the population, particularly of people who are able to work. Well, it's interesting because I look at, certainly in the United States, and I'm sure other countries that have social welfare systems, that you need people to support a social welfare system. I look at Social Security. When that was formed what, back in 1935, there were 35 workers for every one person on Social Security, not to mention that people died at 60 and they made the age to collect at 65. So that was certainly quite clever. Now people die at 80 and there's only three workers per person on Social Security. So how are we going to support all these people certainly that were promised. And if they're quite elderly, they would be unable to work and unable to support themselves. So you'd think you'd want more people just for economic purposes. Well, that's a very good point. You mean it's not the evil Republicans trying to cut your social security <laughs> for the fact that it's in deep, deep trouble? <laughs> well, the way I look at it is maybe they're doing it because they want the old people to die. Old people cost too much. They use too many resources. And what the hey, you know? So I don't know. One of the things I also like to talk about are toxins. That there's a lot of hoo-ha about forever chemicals and all these things. And 
And I'll begin this. It was kind of funny. I was doing a pre-op visit on a patient. And this was back when Love Canal was in the news. And Love Canal was a place where they had stored a lot of old dioxin. And uh, it was poisonous and people were getting sick. And I was interviewing the patient and I asked her, well, what medicines does she take? And she said, I used to take dioxin. My heart doctor wants me to take it, but I stopped taking it after I read about Love Canal. And it, I, I had to immediately call her internist. And, you know, she had mistaken digoxin, which is a heart drug that can be good for you with dioxin, which could be a poison. So I always think of that when I think about all these toxins. And we do have real toxins out there, but now people are afraid of anything. They don't want to put anything in the microwave oven and on and on and on. So after the break, I would like to discuss toxins and I think, uh, I and I remember when this came out, Rachel Carson and Silent Spring talking about DDT, and it's just exploded since then exponentially, the number of things that supposedly are going to kill us tomorrow. So after the break, we will discuss that. AmericaOutloud.news is beaten to the pulse of our nation. We know when you're angry, troubled, misled, joyful, and thankful. We know you because we are you. Join us as we explore the most important issues of our time. America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. Millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-haul effects of the toxic spike protein. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company designed their spike support formula to counteract harmful spike protein from COVID-19 and vaccines so you can feel your best. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Before the break, we were going to talk about toxins. I mentioned Rachel Carson's Silent Spring, where it started bans on DDT. Dr. Orient, can you talk about DDT, a little of the history of that, what it is? Some people these days might not even know what it is. They, yeah. DDT is a pesticide, an insecticide. It probably has saved more human lives than any other chemical ever maybe half a billion human lives by controlling malaria, uh, yellow fever, other types of insect-borne diseases. Rachel Carson wrote her book, Silent Spring, which had a lot of, of uh, mistakes in it, scientific mistakes, but was used to start a movement to ban DDT, as a result of which as many as 
3 billion African children, or 3 billion Africans, mostly children, died of malaria. Uh, we did this after we pretty much vanquished malaria in the United States and Western Europe. So it was mainly Africans who suffer, suffer from this. Um, DDT is really one of the safest chemicals that we know of. J. Gordon Edwards used to eat a tablespoonful of it before he would give lectures on this subject. But there was a lot of, uh, a lot of concern about maybe it killed some birds. Actually, some of the bird populations did better after DDT than before. They could show that it thinned eggshells if they gave DDT to birds who were also deprived of calcium, so they couldn't make eggshells. So there was a lot of just outright scientific fraud in this. And Bill Ruckelshaus, I think, was the, the EPA director who banned DDT. People said, if you can ban DDT, you can ban anything. He did this despite a truckload of evidence that refuted all of the bad claims about it. And since they banned DDT, they really have tried to ban almost everything that could be of the least bit politically incorrect. And, you know, it is a fact that everything in the world is toxic in the right dose. You can kill yourself by drinking too much water. It, it depends on the dose. It's also true that if you've got a sensitive enough analytical device, everything is contaminated with everything else. So, you know, once something's been around long enough and, and all the water in the world circulates, it'll probably have some of this stuff, this stuff in it. The question is, how much of it does it take to be a problem? You know, in Tucson, we had all kinds of consternation about some trichloroethylene in the drinking water, which came from leaking underground uh, fuel storage tanks. You also make it in your own body. Your liver makes it and your body detoxifies it. Mammalian metabolism is a big biochemical factory. It makes all kinds of things. The amount that you get from water contaminated by the trichloroethylene was trivial com compared with the amount that your own liver makes. Nevertheless, we had all of this uproar about it. And the only person that we know died because of the uh, trichloroethylene was a man who was running excavating equipment in the bottom of a huge crater that he was, that he was digging up to try to get rid of the teensy tiny amounts of the trichloroethylene in the soil. So it's possibly to be, to be completely irrational about what is dangerous and what is not dangerous. And just them ignoring things like in, in Ohio, the train derailment is an, is an outrage. But instead of paying attention to that, which really is a threat, we're focusing on all kinds of things that just truly are not. Well, sometimes it makes me think you you focus on things. It's like, you know, putting these symbols on the bottoms of plastic containers that says they're free of whatever they happen to be free of, whatever the toxin of the day is. So, but still don't microwave in it. Put it put it in a different bowl because it'll release whatever it was that the plastic was free of. Um that these are things that you can put in ladies' home journal or reader's digest or 
National Enquirer, whatever, and people can see and it makes it look like the government is doing something. And it's when the, we need the government for these big things like that spill in Ohio, that's where you need the big resources. And I think people can take care of themselves with regard to some of these other things. And guess what? If you think that there's some toxin in the plastic that your food was packaged in, then don't eat it. But we don't need government mandates to uh, tell you not to eat this stuff or or I'd rather make sure they have mandates for packaging that's tamper-proof. And so people don't put stuff in there. Or, you know, food, we kind of know food isn't completely clean anyway. It's all got bugs and dirt. No matter how clean the food factory is, there's going to be stuff in there. I just don't want it tampered with by some creep who, you know, decides to put poison just like the Tylenol guy. So. Well, exactly. Uh, Bruce Ames yeah. pointed out that if you, if you um, test things for carcinogens the way they were doing it, that almost everything could be shown to be carcinogenic, that maybe a half of the items that they have tested were carcinogenic in some dose in some species of animal. And yet, these are, they, they have many benefits. The amount is that you can be exposed to is far less than, than would be a problem. But we, we just, people are so ill-educated. A lot of people don't even know what an atom or a molecule is. So they are, they're really not capable of evaluating what, what is a problem and what isn't. Well... I think they've tried to keep us ignorant. That's why we have these shows to educate people and let them know we can't live in fear. <clears throat> Excuse me. Fear was one of the things that kept all the COVID nonsense going. They made sure that people were afraid. And at some point, people didn't even know what they were afraid of, but they had that constant state of anxiety and un unease. And that's how you keep people controllable because the big guy can come in and ease your pain that, of course, they created. So I, I, <laughs> I don't know. I sometimes I feel like I just want to throw up my hands and say, what's going to be the next disaster that's not a real disaster? We have enough real disasters without making them up. Yeah, that's true. The overregulation is one of the real disasters. It leads to poverty. It leads to having worse problems than the ones that we're supposedly uh, confronting. Here's well, a very powerful weapon. It's kind of interesting because um, a group put out a, a report about the C CDC and all of its problems around COVID, of course. And one of the problems there is they have too much power and have gotten off their mission. It was, you know, the name of it is Centers for Disease Control 
and prevention. And when it started, we were talking about polio, measles, things like that, that were communicable diseases. Now, suddenly, they're telling us what words to use to be inclusive and uh, talking about chest feeding. Uh, What does that have to do with communicable diseases? Well, they think that we have, or that we have, uh, that we have won the war against communicable diseases, which of course we have not. But you know, the bureaucracy never wants to go out of business. If it solves one problem, it has to find another one. Well, what did somebody say? I don't know if it's something in the ether or some known person actually said it that nothing lasts longer than a temporary government program. So right. And the worst is we've seen what happens in these big bureaucracies is no accountability. And certainly down the line, and we're seeing some pretty quick action in Hawaii that a couple of the people involved in their poor response to the fires have already stepped down or been released from their job. So that looks like there's some accountability at that level. Who knows who they're replaced with, whether that person is still captured by the bureaucracy, who knows? But at least publicly, it looks like, okay, we're going to chop off the knees of the person who made this problem worse. And that's what bothers me. People already have a problem. And we don't need the government coming in and making it worse. So true. So one thing I wanted to talk about just before we left, and I don't know how much you know about it, but we've been hearing on the news, uh, you shall eat bugs and how bugs are good for the environment. And it would all be better for the environment if we ate bugs. What do you think about all that? I think it's a very evil agenda. That This is by people who are trying to kill off cattle, kill off livestock, drive farmers off their land to create hunger. And instead, they're building huge, I guess they're factory-like things where they grow crickets and are trying to persuade us that we're going to eat crickets. In fact, there may be cricket powder already and a lot of the things that you use, in addition to the, what I think are totally unappetizing snacks that, I mean, really look like the bugs. I think there's a whole new industry. I think Bill Gates, among others, is invested in this. And we don't know what the health effects of this kind of diet are. Uh, Chitin is undigestible by most people. It, is that uh, what, what insects are made of, what their skeleton uh, their, their is? exoskeletons are made of chitin. Mm-hmm. It's carcinogenic. Um, they say, well, it's nutritious. If you grind them up, there are these amino acids in them. And there's this and that in them. But we really have no long-term experience with people subsisting on a large amount of insects in their diet. And remember just what Dr. Orant was talking about before with so many things, the radiation, all these toxins that are around, it's the dose that matters. And and we know that we've all eaten 
an ant or two at a picnic or whatever, and there's you always find some bug in the bottom of your Coke. But uh, that's not what these people are talking about. They're talking about a full diet of things where the base ingredient is insects. So yes, you know, they are really serious about this. And this evidence-based medicine, there's no evidence for you know long-term dietary effects. And I mean, okay, so they have a lot of protein. So what? Um it it I think even if you get over it that it's kind of creepy the thought of eating insects and they can easily be hidden. I remember for a while chocolate-covered ants were the big thing. And so you couldn't see the ants at all. And I guess it was a joke thing for parties, but it never really caught on as your new way to eat chocolate. Um, Does anybody actually believe this? Do the people who are into global warming and electric cars and, you know, no gas stoves, no gas heaters, are they ready to jump on this insect craze? Oh, I don't know. Some ideologies are really strong. I think they're trying to indoctrinate children by serving these snacks in the schools so the children will be used to it. Well, so who should, just in case somebody's serving you insect cookies, who should avoid them? Is there some cross-reactivity with, like, if you're allergic to one thing, you might be allergic to what's in insects? I think that people are allergic to shellfish, shrimp. Mm -hmm. There might be some cross-reactivity there. Okay. And see, these are things that are good to know and and why I want to tell the listeners about this kind of thing, because nobody's going to tell them. And when you're sitting there in the restaurant with your airway blowing up and your face turning red and swelling, you'll wonder why. Oh, that was an insect cookie. And isn't that cute? So, (laughs) So, uh, there are so many things out there that are instilling fear. And as Dr. Orient said, the bottom line seems to all swirl around control. But what this means is we have to be the ones that have control and take control of ourselves and our lives. Now, when these true disasters come, what give us just kind of a quickie list of things that you should always have in your home to help protect yourself and take care of yourself? Well, you certainly need to have water. That's probably the most important thing. It's probably impossible to have too much water. You want to have the food that even the government recommends 72 days of food. Whether that's enough, I don't know. I don't, I don't encourage people to go buy all of these fancy dehydrated foods. I would say get rice and beans unprocessed wheat that can last for a long time and that you can afford. But but don't have your pantry bare so that if you can't get to the grocery store, you're going to be among the first people to panic. Be sure to have enough prescription drugs that you need. There are some people now like the, the wellness company, Dr. Stella Emanuel, who will offer an emergency kit they can prescribe for you 
a course of treatment of various antibiotics to have in case in case the drugstore runs out of them, as they may, since they're mostly made in China, just to have on hand in case you catch it, get to the doctor or a pharmacy that has the drugs. Um, think ahead, think about what you most need, uh, the basic tools, things that you, you really would, would be hurting if you couldn't go to the grocery store and get them. Okay, well, that's very good advice. And on the website, when we play this um, interview, there's going to be a list of some resources and several resources for you to go to and look at and read about. They're mostly with regard to radiation, but some other things. You might learn how to make your own um, meter to measure radiation. And these are things that we all should know and I thank Dr. Orient for just giving us a taste of this so we can explore it on our own more thoroughly. Thank you for coming, Dr. Orient. My pleasure. Okay. I just want to thank everybody for listening to America Out Loud Pulse. There are so many new features. We still have our email feature where you can email the host and the host will get in touch with the guest. If you have a question for the guest, you can just use your first name. That's fine. And we'll get back to you. Uh, We have our trending cloud at the top of the page where you can click on, see what kind of news is going on around you. And we have a brand new feature. This is AmericaOutloud.shop. And what that is, if it speaks for itself, it's a shopping site and it's got products from the wellness company. It's got products from Healthy Cell, has Cofix RX and books written by the people who've come on the show um, and other books of interest. And the best part, of course, is when you buy something, put in the discount code out loud and you'll get a pleasant surprise with a nice discount. So look at all this stuff and enjoy. I have, and it's a great new addition to the website. So thanks again for listening. And I just suggest whether you agree or have other opinions, please share the show. So until next week, say it loud, I'm free and I'm proud.